So here we are at uh, AAA on Gerard, and the reason we're having a drink is that our guest didn't want to stand in the studio or sit in the studio with us. He actually demanded to do this uh, over drinks. It's on my rider. It is. Yep. It's on his yeah, rider. It's a thing. <laughs> Space rider. <laughs> See, that's how we get him to introduce himself. Introduce yourself. You're listening to the Can't Sell This Podcast with your hosts, Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. Hi, my name is Ben Feist. Uh, I'm a software engineer. I've grown up here in Toronto, and now I work at NASA at Johnson Space Center in Houston. That's like easily the most exciting thing yes. I've ever heard. Yeah, and yeah, there I should be way it. more excitement in your voice. <laughs> and now, are you uh, just an even? It's just, it's just left my voice. It's been it's been a year now. It's kind of, yeah. I work at NASA. Oh my god! There's like a, a oh moratorium. You're only allowed to be as this excited about your job for so long. No, yeah. I'm super excited about my job. It's it's wonderful. Amazing. Still, just about the coolest thing ever, right? It is, yeah. and it's uh, you know holding on and seeing how I can keep it going is now a new thing. So. Uh, it's great, you know. You cr- cross the finish line and, and go. Oh, there's a whole career behind this ribbon that I just crossed, you know. And, and so, so you know, you did have you to know? Be successful in that career. Did you know that that if you are part of a project, they give you like a badge or something? So it's like the Cub Scouts, but NASA based. Oh wow, kind of. Projects tend to have acronyms. Acronyms are a big deal. Okay. And if it's a big enough project, that acronym will have a little crest designed for it by a designer. And then, of course, you have to get stickers. Oh, that's so cool. You know, a so mission mission badge, mission sticker. Mission. Well, missions all have yeah, yeah. Badges projects and, and missions. Things, are, but, okay. but even projects and initiatives also do the same thing. Projects and initiatives. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Stefan. Yes. Ben provided me with my favorite, <laughs> oh, my God, this is going really bad. Definite uh, comment, and so like I guess at NASA, when something's not going right, or it could be it be disaster, it could be a disaster. They'll still say it's an off-nominal event. Ooh, that's so okay. Yeah. When you when you watch stuff about NASA, when you watch like movies, and they say something is nominal, it just means it's going right. Right. It's going as planned. As planned. Yeah. So you know, we, we in the interactive world, we kind of have the same thing with the critical path and the project plan. But they'll do it with a timeline when they're out doing a spacewalk. They have that timeline locked down to what hand hold are they holding on to and how long does it take to move from point A to point B. And they will plan the spacewalk that just happened yesterday. They plan for four years. Oh, my. So if it goes off the nominal timeline, they had an off nominal event, which could be very bad or very small. But it's, uh, I think it's a great understatement. I love using it. But you can use it in any situation. Like, it was my birthday on Sunday, but there was a snowstorm, so we couldn't go out to dinner. That was an off-nominal but, event. That's true. That's true. We're off-nominal tonight with the weather. But, I mean, so, so that, that makes me question, like, shouldn't there be a, a level of degree? Can, like, can you tell in, like... Oh, certainly. Yeah. Because if, if, if they ask the astronaut, so how are things going? He goes, oh, off-nominal. And they think, oh, he's, he's behind on holding on that rrung, but actually he's floating away off from the nominal. space shuttle. Yeah, off nominal. Off nominal, nominal. Yeah. No, times They definitely seven. have other things they can say to each other. It's not just okay, that good. one term. Good, good. But uh, this is particularly on whether we're ahead or behind the timeline. And, uh, you know, and especially when there's, uh, you know, a safety issue or something that occurs, 
so one of the projects I worked on was a simulation for uh, a replay of, um, uh, sorry, a training run that occurred in the Neutral Buoyancy Lab. So the Neutral Buoyancy Lab is a giant swimming pool that has a full-scale mock-up of the space station underwater. And the, this is where the crew trains for that four-year period for that spacewalk. And they had basically a situation where there was a suit that overpressurized and they couldn't figure out why. It took them a little while to do an investigation. And when they referred to why they were doing an investi- investigation, they just said that it was an off-nominal event that occurred in the pool. But everybody knows that that's a serious thing to have happened. So it's just that to, to someone outside of NASA, that's, that sounds like, yeah. you know, fighter, fighter jock speak or something yeah. like that but super yeah. like yeah. they just don't get stressed out like yeah. houston we have a problem oh, there's a lot of stress but there's like serious problems <laughs> going on like that yeah. guy could have died right he could have but he didn't did not no and he in so. fact it was uh i say he could have but he because he didn't maybe he couldn't have but <laughs> um yeah they take they take all this stuff very seriously they monitor it by second by second and they knew exactly what was happening as it was occurring and they did the right steps but they had to figure out what went wrong so they could, before they can do the next run in the neutral buoyancy lab, and, and this investigation had to happen before they could go back in. And so you, you were in advertising for probably 20 years? 20-something, yeah. 20-something, right? And yeah. uh, when you compare the level of stress that advertisers and agency people will put on their projects versus what you're doing now, yeah. Is that why you're so calm, or are you always so calm? Because you seem super calm to me. Oh. So, like, were you like, were you like that working at no. various agencies? Well, but now you're just like, wow, that's a big perspective change for me, a real <laughs> shift. Well, the shift actually happened well before I switched over and started working at NASA. I, I was, I was your typical angry young programmer. Right. Yeah. You know, that all of my friends would attest that, you know, I'm not a calm person. But anybody who's known me since about 2008 or 9 is when I switched over into, okay, life's too short for this kind of outlook of, oh. you know, I don't, I don't know if, it, if you have Did you have a heart attack? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. No, thankfully possible. it didn't take that. It just took like a sigh and going, what am why, I doing? Why yeah. am I so pissed? Like, this is not, you know, and it was also kind of the realization, there's never the perfect project. I think I yeah. had this this young out of school perspective of why is everything so messed up all the time yeah. here in, you know, interactive land. And, you know, it's because of the people around me must be terrible. That's why. Right. Or, you know, <laughs> some people are to blame. Somehow. Right. Yeah. There's blame. To Someone's be not trying. And Someone's turns not trying. Out, and I'm no, trying. no, 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 no. The, the, there is no perfect. This project. is just what's happening. You know, and if it happens, everybody just doesn't even know what to do because it, it's never happened before. Um, anyway, so it took a while for me to figure that out. Yeah. And, and I'll I've be honest with down. you. When, when I when I got my not my last agency gig but an agency gig and the guy had said in, during the interview process he's like well I don't know you've got a bit of your reputation for being really angry and I was oh, like wow. really is that how I strike you and he goes no not at all you seem really calm I'm like well yeah well what changed I said I had kids <laughs> and I realized that none of this is very important you that know idea, like yeah. it's just I had kids and it. I'm, I'm more worried about whether or not they get through the day than whether or not the banners go live mm-hmm. at a certain time, you know? Sure. Well, you know, one thing to be said about advertising is there's a lot of drama. Mm. I wouldn't say, you know, you described it earlier as stress. There's real stress in the yeah. space program that's real. And then there's very little drama in the space program. I mean, I think like any other place, there can be politics. 
um, both external and internal office politics, all that stuff is normal. But the the sheer shrieking volume level of your day in advertising is kind of insane. It, in retrospect, looking back, and I and I think I attribute to it like maybe this will make a lot like a lot of the people generating that noise. It makes them feel like there's something serious happening that they're working on. Right. And. It, it's like, okay, well, none of that was really necessary. Yeah, at like, the end know. of the day, you know, the, those ads don't get out. You know, you, you might not sell a couple of cars. You know, at NASA, I'm assuming yeah. that the, the very real stress is usually, in, you know, people's lives are in the balance. Yeah, and I, I remember in the digital, when I worked at purely digital agencies a long time ago, there was stress, but it was about delivery. So can we do this? And I don't know how to do this. How am I going to figure it out? Somebody else thinks you're going to figure it out because they because oh you always figure it out. Don't worry. <laughs> Meanwhile, you don't realize every single time I barely made it right. Mm -hmm. um, and there, that was real stress. But then when I switched into a traditional advertising agency to teach them how to do digital, the volume level was ten times higher wow. for something ten times easier, in my opinion. <laughs> like it, you know, there were there's definitely difficult days, and but. There was wait. There's no. There's no like enterprise software development happening that needs to work at the end. There's just a client that yeah. needs to be happy. Yeah. Why is everybody running around like their hair is on fire? It didn't make any sense. And all the, all the digital people as we grew a digital department, um, would kind of whisper to each other, "This stuff's really easy." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was a bit of an inside joke for a while. But, you know, stress is stress is everywhere, and and I don't know how to. How to navigate it? The level of the stress of what can happen in the space program is maybe that's what keeps everything simple. Well, and and, it, and and based off of just watching movies, it seems that in the space program, people are actively trying to work together, right? So Very they're never so. they're never going like you're to blame. They're like, well, let's work the problem, let's fix this, right? Sure, on the timeline, that's definitely true. When you're planning a mission, I think there's definitely a lot of finger pointing and right. no it should be this way and no it should be that way but that's the time to do it yeah you know, right time, of course time to get all the different perspectives out and you know I, and I guess some of the politics is who's in control of deciding what should happen um, but you know that's all when you're trying to create something from the ground up once it's built and running you're 100% right if you if you spend any time watching NASA TV to watch a, a spacewalk or something like that I used to watch it for years when I was sitting at my desk and you know, back in agency land. But not, I, not when you're billable. Totally, when I was billable. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what you need three monitors for. One of them is for the... One is for NASA. One of them is for the spacewalk that's happening. Um, and, you know, I, even uh, colleagues that I've had, would, we would comment, listen to them working together. Listen to what they, how they talk to each other. It's totally different than how people talk to each other normally. Um, and it's not phony or anything. It's like the ultimate honesty of what's currently happening. Just these super high-performing people working together—it's really wonderful to listen to. It's—I was going to say—you you talked about having having kids. I know. I was trying to turn my head. <laughs> um, all right, hold on. So, Hugh, you were saying uh, when you had kids, you know, that was one of the the defining moments in, in sort of um, tempering your frustrations and angers. And for me, it was actually. Uh, not kids, but, but getting put into a position where I was leading a team and realizing that me getting frustrated is not helpful to the team and me getting angry with someone is not helpful. Yeah. Uh, and, but recognizing frustration and anger in others and then 
like not denying it, not saying, no, you shouldn't be angry because this is just the way it's going to be, or no, you shouldn't be frustrated about this, but saying, you know, like, I understand. Why are you angry? Yeah, I understand why that you're frustrated, and I need to understand why so that I can help you get past this, so that I can help you do your job. And sure, that's definitely a huge part of it, and and I always wanted to provide to the people that worked for me with the leadership that I never had because there was no tech director when I was younger. Like, you know, I'm old, so this was mid-90s. I'm building stuff on the new internet. Nobody knows what that is, so you just get a developer. Right. It's like, you know, account person talking straight to developer. Before we had all these institutions that have grown up within that industry... Um, so you, and every single project, you had to learn a new language because everything was changing so quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, okay, give it to me. But it came with a whole lot of... Any good developer, I think, swears profoundly while they're coding. And I was one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you walk in, you know, when I'm mid-problem, and I don't know if this is going to take a week or, or 30 seconds to fix, you know, as, you, yeah. as happens when you're debugging, you know, I would, I would let that show, you know, and it was bad anyway. We don't have to spend the whole time talking about. My well, yeah, temper. we're not. <laughs> this is a this is a long drawn out. Hey, you were stressed out when yeah, you were so doing that, but not now. Yeah, we, in fact, we're going to parade <laughs> in the ten former employees now to talk about it. Well, <laughs> Guys, no, I, Miley, so, this is your life. I mean, well, <laughs> yeah. So I did email some people. No, 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 it's not true. <laughs> um, one of the things that that really struck me when I saw you speak in Toronto this spring was how you essentially turned a hobby into your job yeah um and part of it was and I, i'd like you to explain it but, but like part of it that really really hit me was it was your interpretation of the information that was unbiased that made it so fresh right yeah well i, I hope so um yeah, yeah essentially uh, you know trying to post-rationalize right you know what what were you thinking what were you doing in all honestly in all honesty i mean i now realize that it had has a lot more value than when i was making it but i was just trying to make something that i thought was going to be cool and you know you you reach for that when you're making interactive things and listening to the space program the apollo program they're walking on the moon and so maybe i should back up and explain what it is but I basically recreated the entire Apollo 17 mission from two hours and 40 minutes before launch to the speeches on the deck of the USS Ticonderoga. Is that because that's what existed? That that two hours was what yeah, existed? Yeah, then, right? then there's no recordings before that, and there's no recordings after that. Right. So, like, the recorders got turned on, and they got turned off, right? And it's 302 hours in duration. Wow. In real time. So, it you know, kind of... It, I don't know how deeply you want to get into the project itself, but, you know, what if I could make the transcript scroll, the transcript of what they said on the mission? Because this is early internet again. How amazing is it that I have direct access to the transcripts of what they said on Apollo 17? This is insane. And, you know, that's a, a 1996 feeling when you open that document. You go, oh, my goodness, here it is. Um, otherwise, you would have to travel to another city and go into the get access to the archives and go in and get the transcript and then you know read it. But here I could see it, and I thought this is the most compelling stuff I've ever heard. You know, I've, I I don't know if I've uh, 
if I'm a card carrying a space nerd or anything, and I wasn't uh, like yes. a now. Yeah. I, oh, certainly now. <laughs> the answer certainly is now. yes. Back then, it was just. I think I was. Yeah, sure. I'd watch. You know, I'd played with space Lego like every other kid is supposed to, and uh, and you know, wouldn't miss a documentary that had you know a Nova episode or something that was about the cosmos. But that was it, you know, and I was interested in a lot of other things, too. But when I came across that you could actually read what they said on the Apollo missions, and I immediately thought, back in 97, how do I, how could I, what if you could listen and read along at the same time? That was, that was the idea. Right. And, and then I kind of poked, poked at the edges of that for three years from about 98 to 2001, and it was just insurmountable amount of work. There was no way... And that was back when real media player was the right. thing. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you so know, wait, so, sorry, did you had the transcript that you were reading, but on top of that, did you actually have the audio at that yeah, point? Yeah, so, so this, there was a really early uh, internet project called the Apollo Lunar Surface Journal. Okay. And the Apollo Lunar Surface Journal is still online in its 1996 format of wow. just flat HTML1. And, right. You know, where links are underlined with blue. And everything's in Times New Roman, and it's a white background. It's one of those websites, and they had little real media snippets in there, so you could, for a second, a little window would open, and you could hear them right. while you read the transcript by yourself. And I was like, "This needs to be a CD-ROM, right? Because that's that's what that's I used what to we do. Did. That's what we do. Yeah, it was like, this needs to be an interactive experience. And then I, as I tested the waters, I realized it was about. Oh, it'd be you know fifty or sixty CD-ROMs yeah. long, and there's no client to pay for it, and you know it, there's it, it's no I'm making there's no client to pay for it. It makes it sound like it might have been a viable project. It wasn't. It was just ever, an idea. Ever a viable project? No. <laughs> and and uh, it wasn't a matter of not having funding. It was a matter of I could never tackle something that big. So let me interrupt you then. So, uh, 2001, how were you able to get the entire audio? That's my curious. Uh, my, my I did So I didn't have it back then. Okay. Yeah. So you really were just operating off of I have the transcript. Like, transcripts, little uh, snippets. Little snippets from, yeah. And that was kind of it. And then it, it just kind of it was always in the back of my head. Oh, oh. And I had a, I realized one of the interactivity problems would be how do you make a scrubber? Yeah. That is, the length of a mission. Yeah. And because that would be hard. And then I, I literally decided I couldn't figure that out. Like, I kind of went, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe it would have to be something. And then as soon as I would start to think about what the solution is, I'd stick myself with the fork of, but then you'd have to build something like that. And then immediately <laughs> you're like, no, that can't be the solution. And I used the fact that I used, I would play. I don't know if you guys have the same thing, but you get ideas like this that you play with in your head when you're bored. or doing. Yep. It came back to me over the years of, yeah, I'd have to figure that scrubber problem out because, you know, that's what's holding me back from doing the entire Apollo missions um, as if, right? Um, but the scrubber became this like excuse. And because I wasn't solving that problem, I wasn't working on anything. Right. And it was this deadlock. And I probably still have like 10, 10 other things in my head that are in this deadlock state. Um, and, you know, I've, I've realized over the years that if you just start pecking at the problem and actually work on it, and it goes away. Like it, you don't have to solve the nth degree most difficult version of you know your mental exercise. Yeah. You just have to start. 
Yeah. And and then it, the problem changes, and it, and it goes away. And uh, and then it, anyway, so. Yeah, or it evolves, yeah. right? I mean, like this yeah. is what we've talked about often is the fact that you may have. So, my wife gave me a moratorium on projects. She said you can't start anything new, because I said, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this," and I don't remember what it was, but she goes. You are not allowed to start anything new. Oh, it was that I was going to CNC the uh, trench from the Death Star for a table. <laughs> and she goes, you're not allowed to start I anything new. You have, I know, right? So she goes, you have two Boba Fett helmets that are not done. You have a, Man- a Mandalorian and a Boba Fett helmet that aren't done. One's 3D printed, one's done in foam. You have your BB-8. That's not done. And you have, I don't know what that is. I was like, that's a, that's a zoetrope for the Blanton's corks. Come on, you know. So she, thank you. So, so she essentially gave me the, you can't start anything new. And I'm like, okay, I guess I won't. But I'm keeping the table. Yeah, but good, good for you. You're, you don't have the problem I was just describing. Well, you I, start. Yeah. Oh, I start lots of stuff. <laughs> Stefan and I, this whole podcast is starting projects that we can't finish, right? Yeah. So. Well. Yeah. Well, I mean, not to take too, too large a detour, but I've. You can detour as much as you want. Our I, whole episode of podcast is aside. Yep, 100%. Digressions. Cool. I, well, I've flown model planes, built and flown model planes for about 25 years. And in one particular instance, in about 2005, I crashed a 13-foot glider that I had just built. It was literally the first flight. Oh. And I had something wired wrong, and it nosed right in. And being such a large glider, it kind of just collapses into splinters of wood. It's an off-nominal event. It was very mm. off-nominal. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a good description. Yeah. I did not plan that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you know, you, I kind of bundle the broken bones of this thing and throw it in your car, and I threw it in my workshop, and it was sitting in the corner, and I knew it was fixable. Gl- wood is fixable. You know, you just fix it at some point. But there was one particular part of that model that was a, ro- a piece of molded rolled plywood that would had needed a jig in order to make it and i was like okay that broke how am i going to fix that hmm i can't start on this project until i figure that out mentally right <laughs> and literally for three years every time i walked down into my workshop it was staring at me in the corner and i hated it you know got to the point where i didn't even want to go down into the workshop anymore like it's just because I haven't figured out the rolled plywood tail cone problem. And did you stop flying planes? At no, that no, no, I, no. So you still had other things. <laughs> There's another like, rule. You have other planes. That's, <laughs> that's the first rule of model planes. Always have a spare plane. You have other planes. <laughs> but, you know, still, like, your workshop could fill with problems like this. Like, it's just literally full of problems, projects that haven't, or mid-completion or something. Anyway, I threw it on my workbench one day, finally. I don't even remember why. And I thought to myself, I'll just peel the covering off of it. I won't even fix it. I'll just get into that next step and then it and then an hour and a half later i had fixed the rolled tail cone like just worked on some way to figure it out i hadn't wasn't based on any of the mental processes that i had you know expended three years on of, of stress deciding you couldn't corner. do it without right yeah it had nothing to do with any of that it was just and it was like my goodness i just i did it like and then you know two weeks later it's recovered and ready to fly crashed again yeah no, for, still <laughs> have it hasn't crashed again great it is too big to put in my car though did you figure so. out what what caused it to crash in the first place oh yeah it was rookie mistake. user error no uh, setup error oh yeah. i basically down went up because i had things oh reversed. yeah that would that's um, pretty bad that is got yeah. that reversed hmm. it's a common thing you'd be surprised you know do the walk <laughs> around and check 
before you fly. You know, they, <laughs> Push oh, the yes, stick. that's what we all does, do. That's what we all do. And then we don't do it. Pull it back. Does it do that? Anyway, so that that's literally the parallel of just start on this interactive problem. And, and I did. And I started on it in 2009. With just the transcript still. So we're still dealing with you only so have I the transcript. I still only have the transcript, right. yeah. But you did figure out, you're like, okay, I'm going to marry the transcript to the scrubber. Timeline, gotta, timeline concept. Yeah, so I just, I said, okay, I'm going to, you know, here's a, a transcript that's 300 hours long. Right. How many orders of magnitude do I need to go down before I can get down to one second per pixel on a scrubber? Okay. The answer is two orders of magnitude. Okay. And I made a little thing in Paper.js. Didn't know the first thing about JavaScript. I was a back-end developer. I was not a front-end developer. Right. And I, like, jQueried my way through the nastiest thing you've ever seen that totally worked. <laughs> and it was the scrubber for the website that you see today. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and Stack Overflow. <laughs> totally. <com>. Yeah. <laughs> Paper.js. <laughs> actually, one of my... How do I... You'll, you'll love this story. One, one of the developers on my team actually had the exception handler in the application pop open Stack Overflow and query the exception that came out of the exception handler. That's really upon funny. Upon error. I thought that was sweet. That's a smart move. <laughs> so, uh, 2009, you, you got the scrubber working. Yeah. I'm not sure how much history you want. I, I told... This is... This is the, so here's the thing yeah. is that when you when you see him talking, when you see Ben talking, doing his whatever, is this is me at NASA, this granularity is missing. And I really am interested in well, this. This so is gonna be a four hour podcast. It will not be. It <laughs> okay. will not be. We can we figured this is we've been doing this for a while. We can figure out how to how to cut it all out. Okay, but, sure. So the thing I'm curious about is at what point you so you got the scrubber working, you're like, I'm gonna put it up. Did you do that? You uploaded no. Paul, Okay. So at what point did you go, there's enough here? For this to be an actual website, because you had a working scrubber, like that—that well, that was the answer so, you needed. So, the, really, the first thing I did was correct all the transcripts. So that that took three years. So the I got all the transcripts, then all of the audio recorded of the missions had just been redigitized in 2000. I want to say 10. And I downloaded, you know, you can go into the Internet Archive. Anybody could do it today. Go download all the raw wave files of these tapes that have been digitized by Johnson Space Center. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe these are all here. I've been waiting and since nineteen. I've been waiting forever. And, <laughs> and uh, basically threw them into a Premiere project that had eight-hour segment sequences in it for the whole mission. And in the eight-hour seg uh, segments, I created time code that right. was just blank. And then I could lay in the audio as it occurred based on parts of the transcript that were correct. Okay. And created a 302-hour-long Premiere project. Right. Tested the boundaries of what Premiere was capable of. Right. <laughs> also, how much, how many hard drives you needed to have? Well, it was, it was all just audio at this point. So oh, that's, okay. it was actually fine. Okay. But still, like testing the scrubber on Premiere, I'll tell you, because yep. that's an eight-hour-long segment. How many eight-hour-long segments are there? Or sorry, sequences are there? Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, so that so that basically allowed me to render out uh, videos that are eight hours in segment length that tied to a transcript. Tried to a transcript that was corrected based on the audio that was in the videos, and then it was like the idea was okay, I have to figure out how the scrubber works, but um, can I make could I make a transcript scroll based on time in a YouTube video? Because I just upload all the videos to YouTube, use the YouTube API. Maybe I could just make some ugly thing where I load the whole 
transcript into the DOM and just tell it to do a scroll event each second, you know, as they're talking. And I totally did that. I made this like gross, right, just disgusting prototype, and it was it, it worked. It had 300 hours of the mission in it, and and Apollo 17 came back to life in that in that way. You could listen to it. You could you know start at any point and let it play until they splashed down for days and days. And you know I I think I had a little table of contents in it to go to key points. Uh, I don't think I had any photographs in it yet. It was just this really about the audio and the transcripts was like this big deal. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna make, you know, six other space nerds really excited about this, like that I've met in the community at this point. Yeah. Put it online and like check this out. Apollo seventeen's up there and like God help any of the people that discover these eight hour like blank videos on YouTube. <laughs> That'll be so funny if they you know, what a prank for them, right? And and Gizmodo picked up an article about it and I went, Oh no because I'm not done, and yeah. I just had my moment of fame, you know, like, right. Gizmodo puts up a thing, Apollo 17 live again, you know, and especially because it was around the anniversary of the Read mission. this. <laughs> that's, that's and I'm note. like, I was just crestfallen. I thought, oh, God, I put something on the internet that people care about, <laughs> you know, for the first time in my career. <laughs> <laughs> kidding, kidding. Yeah, there's been many, um, many heartfelt moments in your career, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, it, advertising. Yeah. yeah, advertising. That's for sure. Uh, but you know, like it, you put other things live that yes, got press, yes, other kidding. things live that got you in trouble, other things yep. live that went really well. But never something that, without any trying, Gizmodo writes an article about. Yeah. And now people are talking about this thing, and it barely even works. I don't think he even tested it in Firefox, let alone Internet Explorer. Right. Um, and. Uh, so I, after I kind of regathered myself, I thought, okay, well, what's the real version of this thing? And that's when I called my good friend Chris Bennett, who worked at Organic with me um, all those years ago, back from 2000 to 2004, and before that at Vickers and Benson. So we worked together for a good 10 years. And, uh, and I said, Chris, I need some help designing because I suck. I am not a good designer. And i like, look, could you help me figure this out? I've got this transcript that took me three and a half years to correct. I've got all these videos. Pictures can appear when they're taken. And he redesigned the whole thing, put the transcript in the bottom left corner. He was like, nobody gives a shit about the transcript, man. It's all about <laughs> the photographs. The, the only thing you had for <laughs> nearly like, a oh decade. Do <laughs> <laughs> you understand how important this is to me? Oh, my God. This is what I it did hurts all so the bad. But he was, of course, entirely right. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I needed, I needed somebody to be able to look at this and say... You know, these 70 millimeter photographs that they took, 2,400 of them on Apollo 17, are <laughs> unbelievable. They're just yeah. beautiful. And you, meanwhile, you're like, but and the I had, they, were like, they were like thumbnail size in my other prototype. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm like, the transcript's right in the middle, you know. <laughs> we can hear them, but also read what they're saying. We can read. But did I mention we could read what they're saying? For the literate, this matters. <laughs> The uh, yeah so so, so, he so that's it. that's the website as it exists today at Apollo17.org. Right. So if anybody cares to go there, but not, you, not on a mobile phone for that website. Right. Uh, but you had but you had at that point grabbed the vi- the video and the yes. uh, the photos that have been generated. Yeah. So I got all the television transmissions that they had, and they on Apollo 17 they lived on the surface of the moon for three days, and they worked on the surface for seven and a half hours a day. And 17 was also special because they 
it was the only time they flew uh, scientists to the moon. So a geologist is doing field geology on the surface of the moon, collecting samples, documenting them with a photograph, talking, describing them to mission control with, like as though they're geological field notes. Which is which is interesting in that you, as part of the the site, that um, when he's describing, oh, I'm. This is the bag number. You yeah. can then click on the bag number in the transcript and actually see what the contents are of that bag. Yes. Uh, I just can't get over that. Like, uh, to me, that's just like, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's that's kind of the... That was with the encouragement of uh, the folks at NASA who uh, got in touch with me, who are good friends of mine now, Noah and Jake. Okay. Is they were like, we got to get the samples into this thing. And I hadn't even considered putting the samples in. But were you aware of the samples at that point? Or, or well, they, I, they I let knew, you... I knew there were samples. But they're like, course, hey, guy, we can help you out. <laughs> no, sort of. Yes, they definitely did. They found, they got me the data that allowed me to correlate it. Wow. But they, they, they immediately recognized. So I'm kind of skipping ahead. But they said, you know, this thing's a tool. This is a tool for research on the samples. I'm, I kind of thought, okay, cool. But... But what about, a, yeah, what about the transcript, guys? Yeah, what about the transcript? They're like, transcript's nice. It's searchable. It makes it searchable. It's important. Um, yes, Ben, the transcript. Yes, we understand. <laughs> but also and, we have this. Um, but, you know, na- so what we did is we just kept adding whatever we could find into, the, into this window that appears on the website for the, tr- for the samples. So you actually get every photograph that's been subsequently taken of that sample on Earth, including when they cut it in half and they do thin sections and they do a bunch of different uh, geochemistry-type experiments to it. All the academic papers that have been written since 1972 that have referenced that sample number are all in that window. So It's like you, an encyclopedia of Apollo 17. The ultimate sample rabbit hole about that moment that somebody picked up a rock on the moon. Yeah. And, it, and the real, this is the post-rationalized you know, um, structure of it, is... All that data is, is contained within the moment that sample was collected. Yeah. And if you still make everything about time, you make it about playing and pausing the the uh, the mission. It's almost like that scene in Blade Runner where where he's floating around the photograph, Grid like he's kind of paused seven, and, two, one and yeah, enhance. He's giving coordinates and he's yeah. So you got the enhance. So you, you basically you're pausing in a moment on Apollo 17, and then you're pivoting around that moment with all future research that has occurred about that time. And so, Stefan, I don't know if you're... You, I've seen you speak, and we had this conversation at Ryerson, actually, was the fact that they've kept samples back. They have not opened some of the samples, mm-hmm. and they've kept them pristine because they knew that the science wasn't there. The, the, the right. ability to use the samples appropriately or be able to figure what was important about those samples wasn't there yet in the 70s. So there are still there are still sealed bags Isn't from the that moon amazing? that haven't been touched. That's an, just an incredible uh, amount of foresight in the people that planned this, the sample curation. It's amazing. Like even to the extent of these are people that possibly aren't here anymore, mm-hmm. right? right? And oh, they yeah. said they said, Many look, let's just hold let's just hold this back. Well, and they just awarded uh, a different bunch of different teams of people to analyze one of those pristine samples and one of the pristine samples is a core tube that was drilled on a station three of apollo 17 that's so a, incredible I, I got to go in the lab actually two weeks ago and stand it well in front of a nitrogen filled case that had this core tube in it that had been exposed and i could see the lunar dust that was inside it and i'm standing in front of this cabinet that had not been opened for 50 years 
and uh, I thought unbelievable. Like this yeah. is just there must so be a incredible. lot of goosebump moments oh, for yeah. you, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> one of the one of the things that, that blew me away when when uh, showing the photos of the, the the team on Apollo 17 uh, was how filthy they got. Yeah. And part of that was oh. that the dust would fly up, but there's no atmosphere, so it would instantly fall back. So it would instantly fall onto you, as opposed to what we have here, where because there's atmosphere, with the dust would sort of go around and it settle wind. for yeah. a while, but it's it settled immediately. Really fine. It's uh, 50 microns in size mm-hmm. or less, and that's about the same as fireplace ash, like the white fireplace right. ash, you know, newspaper ash, and. Um, also, very, this is very interesting to me, is there's no air on the moon, so there's no erosion. There's no wind erosion. So dust on Earth is round because it rolls and bounces off things and breaks apart into little spheres-ish. On the moon, everything is a jagged little thing that is still 50 microns in size, so it adheres to everything. And it, it gets in your nasal cavity and apparently causes this kind of lunar hay fever. Um, and uh, when asked what, what it smelled like, um, Jack Schmidt, who was that scientist on Apollo 17, said it smelled like spent gunpowder. So picture huh. this really fine stuff just all over you after three days because you, you have to walk back into the lunar module with your, with your spacesuit on, repressurize, so you're basically putting air inside, then take your helmet off, and your suit is covered in lunar dust. So dust starts getting everywhere inside the cabin. You do that over three days, and, and it's just the, a the mess. pictures. The yeah. pictures just look like they look like coal miners. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, was yeah. the cool thing is they all look like coal miners. Yeah. But meanwhile, there's the one guy who's <laughs> flying the yeah the, the command the, module. The command yeah. module around. He's like, you guys are really dirty. Yeah, yeah. You guys are super. You can't get into my command module. Yeah. You guys, <laughs> mudroom. <laughs> I'm gonna put a dustbuster yeah. at the entrance, and you are going yeah. to dust bust before you get in here. Straight you in are, the shower. You can take your spacesuit off in the shower. Super gross. I don't want you. Well, and to make matters worse, on 17, they accidentally broke one of the fenders, the rear fenders off the rover. So as they drove, the dust flew up, and there's no air to make it fly back. So it was actually a forward rooster tail that would hit them as they drove forward. (laughs) So they they were just covered. And it was actually bad because um, in the sun... Uh, with, oh. if, you're, if your suit is dark, dark in color, in the sun, sun, the temperature is over 200 degrees Celsius. And in the shade, it, sorry, that's not, I think it's plus 130 degrees Celsius. And it's minus 200 degrees Celsius in the shadow. Wow. So if you have dirt on things that are supposed to be kept cool, um, the dirt absorbs that level of energy and it really overheats things. So they had to constantly stop and brush each other off and they had brushes for these purposes. and brush the, the thermal blankets on the in- instruments on the rover, all kinds of stuff. But they, that was a, like, they had foresight for that, right? They knew this was going to be a problem before they went up there, right? No. Oh, no. That, oh yeah, well, they, they did. That's why they put, that's why they they put, put the brushes. Yeah. Oh, 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 the fenders. brushes were just kind of, before you get back in the <sighs> the lunar module, will brush you off. So you, the fenders were the, probably the plan. Falling over. The fenders were the plan for right. not getting, not for the whole rover not getting covered in right, right. dirt. They actually had to fabricate a new fender out of maps and a couple of clamps from a lamp inside the lunar module for the next day. So it was on the first day that they broke it off. And then yeah. the second day overnight, Mission Control came through with a new plan. 
they knew what they had to work with. Deke, we're, we're looking for a, for, for, for a step-by-step on how to put this fender back on. No, no, no. We're going to do this with the maps and, and clamp. The clamp. Yeah. But yeah. what about this fender that's right there? No, no, no. Ignore that thing. Well, they actually lost the fender. Yeah. They lost it yeah, on the moon because it has got stolen. <laughs> no, they, 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 they put broke. it back on yeah. and they duct taped it to the lunar module after they broke it. Sorry, after, onto the, the rover. Rover. And then somewhere along the way, the first day, where they're driving kilometers away, yeah. it, they realized it wasn't there anymore. You so it's, turn it's around lying, and go find it. It's lying on the lunar surface right now oh, somewhere. Bust-ass fender. <laughs> it's like that way to go, guys. That you find on the side of the highway. Um, yeah, that's, I, I like that. I like that. The sort of, you always hear about this in the space program. There was, you know, there's a problem, and we just got to find a, a, a fix or a workaround. Yeah. And it's always like a mirror of what what what, you, what they have, right? Yeah. So it's not like, hey, do you happen to have uh, seventeen rivets? We're like, no. We got <laughs> tape, yeah. a clamp, and a map. We can make that happen. And they yeah. they figured the plan yep, there. Totally. It's I find it interesting because I've been working a little bit recently with uh, a, a group that's trying to do um, like a, like a a global. Uh, project. So you have teams in Toronto and then teams elsewhere. Yeah. And I've done there's, there's always tech issues. There's always like, like, here's our process. Here's their process. Okay, that's not compatible. And then also we're having a really hard time because time zones are different because the tools that we're using are different or mm-hmm. just can't get things set up. And you get a lot of frustration on the teams around that, around it not being perfect. And you know, at the beginning of the project, I said to everybody, you just don't waste so much time trying to find the perfect solution. Just find the one that works, and when it stops working, just move on to the next one. Like, if you have yep. to go out in the hallway and call each other on your phones and just stand around a phone with the, with the speaker going, do that. Yeah, find a way. It's fine. It's more important that you, wor- you, you work on the project than it is to find this, this, this tech Solution. Well, I, yeah, and I think a lot can be learned from how they do it in the space program, including, mm. well, the Apollo for sure, but the, even the modern uh, missions, uh, because there's a great sort of triangle between operations, engineering that built everything, and science that's actually trying to get knowledge out of what's going on. And with that that triangle, it you know, they're all in it together, and let's figure this out and if you're on a really rigid nominal timeline um, then it you know everybody kind of starts to have empathy for the other two legs of the stool and you can get you can get forward and it, it really is a, a sight to behold when a science person understands you know the engineers point of view and understands what the operational constraints are of what they're doing like they were in a constant state of triage as things Things changed on them, like they, they they broke the fender. They have to spend ten minutes fixing it, and that's ten minutes that you're not doing something that was on the timeline. Now you're behind, maybe. Okay, so then suddenly there's, you know, thirty people smoking cigarettes in the back room of the geology operations room, going, "What are we not going to do? There's five things we were going to do. We have to not do one of them. And if we argue for too long, we're not going to do two of them." Right. So you know, there there's there was a lot of kind of just get past. Get over yourself. Don't ha- don't let your ego get in the way, and just make the decisions. And they they depended on hierarchy. They depended on teamwork. 
and it's really just amazing to, to witness over again. It's kind of people at their best. Okay, so I'm most I'm most curious now about so you while this is all going on while you while you're getting these little snippets of information from folks from NASA when yeah. you're like hey by the way you should probably hook this up to the sample bags you should this should, this this should involve all the video this should do whatever <clears throat> you're still working advertising at yeah. this point right yeah. and what was the what was the thing that made you go like like I'm never, I'm not doing advertising anymore. I'm gonna, you know what I mean? Like there there must have been an event in which you went, okay. Well, I guess I'm now not doing this thing. I'm gonna start doing this thing. Sure. Well, uh, really, it was I was invited by Noah Petro. So Noah is the uh, lunar reconnaissance orbiter project scientist at Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. And Noah emailed me one day and was like, Hey man, cool website and. I went, oh, my God, you're from NASA. Like, nobody, <laughs> <laughs> nobody from NASA has reached out to me yet. It, it, this is great to hear from you. And and he was like, yeah, cool website, but I think you got this wrong. It, you know, it wasn't Gene speaking. It was Jack speaking, so you should fix that. And I was like, no problem. I'll fix that. And we struck up a bit of an email friendship that, you know, then became a phone call type chat friendship. And I was like, could you stop FaceTiming me? <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, you know, he things would come up, and he kept the conversation rolling forward over about a six-month period in 2016. So this is a, the year after I'd put the full version of the website up. I had come in as a runner-up in the Webby Awards. So, you know, the the party was over, and now this website existed. What, what was I going to do next, you know? So, <laughs> so I emailed Noah and, and said, you know, maybe there's... So when they drove the, the rover they turned off the TV transmissions because the antenna would bounce around and they'd lose their fix on Earth. So the checklist said to turn it off. So you'd hear them talking and they'd drive for 40 minutes and then they'd turn it back on and they'd be in an entirely different place and the camera would start panning around so they could figure out where they were. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I could recreate those traverses somehow, 3D render them or something, if I could figure out what the valley was. And I emailed, and I know as the project scientist of the Lunar Reconnaissance Program. <laughs> hey, Noah, do you have any data of the valley that they were in for three days? The valley of Taurus Litro? And he, he overwhelmingly just kind of went, dude, that's literally my job. Here, here's <laughs> a pile of data. And he, he gave me elevation data and texture data. And he gave me photographs of the surface that were 60 centimeters per pixel. You can see the footprints of the crew that they left behind walking around. And I was like, oh God, what have I done? Now I've got, he's given me all this data, now I have to do something with it. After, after you like yeah. wiped your brow, or like, oh, oh my God, God, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, oh, it was totally cool, but then the pressure was on, right? So now I've got to impress somebody from NASA. Uh, that's gonna be easy, right? And uh, yes. so, you know, I, I figured out, <laughs> I gonna say, yes. without going into the detail of the 3D rendering stuff, I Googled my way through again, like, yeah. you know, didn't know anything about 3D. Well, I had done some years and years ago, but I learned Cinema 4D, bought a computer with enough RAM to load these huge textures in, and I rendered, figured out where they drove from old documents when they had done post-mission analysis of where they thought they were, and I matched that to the pictures from LRO and made these animations and stuck them in the place of the blank video on the whole website and then launched it in 2016 as the as the next version right like so now it's got 
way more. It's got the simulations from LRO in it, and uh, and it's just wonderful. And and the simulations, uh, I you know, did I think fifteen or sixteen of these animations. I had to borrow computers and created a little render farm and all all kinds of. It was a hugely fun rabbit hole learning how to do this stuff. And I then emailed Noah and went, dude, I made something with all that data you gave me. Check it out. And gave him the first guy to look at the link where you could listen to them driving, you could hear them talking, and you could see them driving on the surface. You could see where they were, when, and what they were doing. And, oh, watch out, don't fall into that crater. And they drive to the left of the crater. And, uh, and he called me. He was like, dude, you have, to, you have to come to NASA and you have to present this. And I, kinda, you, I think you, I said, uh, uh, okay. I, think I, I went like, first of all, yes. Second of all, why? You know, um, no, I was super excited. I couldn't believe it. Because I'd never seen the moon. <laughs> <laughs> no, like you just, he said, you just used LRO to recreate Apollo 17. Yeah. And connecting these things together is like never been done in this way. You've used the LRO data in a brand new way. Uh, and I, I'm thinking the whole time, I'm thinking like, don't you have people in NASA that do this do already? This, yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, you know, nobody, nobody is. And nobody is. Yeah. That, that's really the, just like the mark of a good idea in advertising, if you go, oh, crap, why didn't I think of that? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. kind of the same thing. They, they kind of did a, oh, crap, someone's finally doing what should have been done all these years ago. Yeah. We've had this how long? Yeah. How yeah. long, Steve? <laughs> 50 years? Oh, <laughs> 50 <cool>. years. Nice. <laughs> and all and you've it been took some guy oh, from Canada oh, Some to do Canadian? Mm-hmm. Um, Dual citizen. So, so Dual I went, citizen. So, so Noah invited me down, and I, and I went, and that was just wonderful. It was like, I'm going to get wow. to tell my grandkids. You got a badge. I got to, you got a visitor badge. I got badge. a visitor badge. I got to go to Goddard Space Flight Center. That's just the coolest thing in the world. And uh, as and a like, guest speaker. I die right now. Like, holy cow on the anniversary of a, the launch of Apollo 17. So what? I was there as, you know, Ben Feist, Apollo historian. And I was like, no. oh, are you got to be kidding me. That's how they introduced you? Yeah. So I, that's I was how they justified going, it. They pay for your flight? So I was really, exci- <laughs> I was really excited until my friend Lance was like, that's going to be great until you get the question from the back because that's going to be a brutal question from the back. Like some dark <laughs> figure. Like, yeah, some scientists from NASA going like, yeah, I don't, I don't even know where to start. Like, ah, uh, you know. So we're going to start with this. You suck. So let me, let me what are your academic credentials? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Did any of that happen? None of that happened. Yes. Of course not. No, right. but, but even, no, I'm just thinking about that moment of, of, of being there, of going there and being able to speak. At NASA, yeah, I, because I remember, like, it would put me back in the same position I was in when I was nine, ten, and got, and my parents took me to Cape Canaveral, yeah, and I got a pamphlet from the lobby yeah. of Cape Canaveral, and like I cherished that stupid pamphlet, that you know, like it's not stupid, that's a good, pamphlet. it's like the tour guide, here, <laughs> sign up for your tour, it's got prices of the tour, and I'm just like, it's from yeah. Cape Canaveral. <laughs> And I enjoyed my tour. Exactly. And I got a model space shuttle. It's a special yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, it really 100%. is. And it's not, you know, it's funny. It's like coming from the world of smoke and mirrors and advertising where you're claiming everything is special. This is like something actually special. Yeah. And I don't know. I think there's probably people out there that think it isn't. But they're jerks. They're jerks. <laughs> totally. Thank you. I can um, say that as the host. 
So let me ask you a question then. Was there a was there a shadowy figure that asked a question that there was that like, the, oh the shadowy God, figure oh was uh, Jacob Bleacher, who is now also a good friend of mine, who from the back raised his hand and said, "Have you considered putting any of the Apollo sample data into this?" And oh. and I said, "Hadn't thought about it." And he said, "You should do that." And I said, "Well, if you can get me the." correlation between bag number and the five-digit sample numbers that were assigned on Earth, I can do it. And did some, did, was there a whole bunch of laughter as people like realized you were challenging no. some guy? No, that, like, no, no. no. I, I wanted to do it. If yeah. he wanted me to do it, I wanted to do it. Yeah. And this is like the, this is the satisfy your client in me. Like I kind of gave, I kind of treated it like, okay, I'm going to give this my best pitch. For sure. Like, so I'm going to give this presentation all of my 20 years of advertising experience Yeah. of not that I'm per- trying to persuade them of anything, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna bring my A game if I'm being invited to go, and I think it might have just been habit. But if there's someone there who wants me to do something, yeah, I want the conversation to continue. You're like I'm already working for I'm free. Like, yes. What do I care? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, true, right? I mean, yeah. the, the the expectations from their side are low. Yeah. The but what I can deliver is extremely high. Like the value is really high. So yeah. So I was like, I'm just going to offer to do whatever anybody asks. For so, sure. So he says, yes, can you put this lunar samples in? And I said, get me this correlation and I'll do it. And and he did a few weeks later, and I did it in a weekend. I had right. all of that sample wow. data in there. Because it was really just a matter of scraping websites scrapes, and, you know, yeah, like, yeah. you know, getting it all in there. And, uh, and here you go. Now it's all cool, right? Like, next email goes back and forth. Um, but... But it was when I realized that it might be more than than this was after after that talk was over. Noah Noah took me to lunch. We went to the gift shop. I bought a NASA toque. Yes. I mean, of course. Gotta have a NASA. Of toque. course. Um, and uh, he said, you know, we gotta hurry up and get back because there's a conference meeting at one o'clock, and I've got to be back. I said, okay, cool, no problem. Let's let's roll. Just give me a conference room. I'll check my email. And he said, no, 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 no. The meeting at 1 o'clock is with you. There's some people that want to meet you. I didn't get that email. And the, just so you know, these are serious people. He, yeah, like, he literally like, said those words to me. I, I just like, looked at him. Like, what are you doing to me now? Serious. And like an uh, he's and like, I'm not saying anything, but all I'm saying is something could happen. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Oh, my God. That ride back to NASA. I, I just would Did have you been pee like, a little? Yeah, my voice went up a little bit. I need to oh, put my toque on. I need to put my toque on. <laughs> that is the dream. And, and in came Jake Bleacher, the guy that asked that question in the back. And, and he said, we think that the way that you've created this website is how we should be managing our data for future missions. This idea of temporarily organizing everything through time and making everything happen in the moment, being able to replay what we do when we're in the field, being able to replay what we do when we're training, being able to replay what we're doing on attach all the research is, to the moment in time. Yeah, is a neat, interesting idea, and we want you to help. Do you want to help? And I, I was like literally having the most Canadian moment of my life, going, "You've got the wrong guy." <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You, you might. You might think that. I'm holding this ransom. Like, this is a really simple idea. It's not my idea. I'm you not trying to claim it's my idea. Yeah, yeah. I think I tried to talk him out of what he was saying about four times. Like, and he's and like, he, every he had Canadian. To, he, had to push, every... he had to brush aside my, 
my like you know defenses you're like i, I just don't know don't. my uh, humble defenses or whatever they might be and he said listen if you could go back to 1972 to the people working on apollo 17 and tell them how to do their job differently so that it would have been easier for you to have spent that six years that you did making this website what would you tell them and i was like oh my god i've got a long list you know this this we start talking and we, we, we're talking for like shut up and take two minutes. <laughs> we're talking for two minutes, and he was like, "More of this. We need more of this. This is why I'm talking to you. We collect experts at NASA, regardless right. of their academic American credentials. Experts. <laughs> American, American experts. American experts. <laughs> we collect experts at NASA, and we just whoever's thinking about a problem the most, that's who we want on the team. You've thought about this problem more than anybody else on the planet, and we want your help. And I was like, "Well, you've got my help." Yeah, but said, you want to pay said, me to do it? No, no, no. He wasn't oh. paying me yet. Oh. He wasn't paying me. He's just See, like, do you I'm want to freelance. I'm all like, you're going to pay for that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but he said, we're going out to the field in New Mexico, and yeah. we're going to do a field analog where we're training astronauts how to conduct field geology on but another with, planet. What's his name? I thought. And with Jack Schmidt. With Jack yeah, Schmidt. He came. From yeah. Apollo 17. Mm-hmm. So he, holy like, shit, he holy just shit. said, like, we're going to New Mexico in June. Do you want to come? And I said... I couldn't even, like I was getting that. Did you figure New Mexico versus sound Mexico? Sound in my ears, like I'm tuning <laughs> like, out. I get tunnel to vision. <laughs> like there's got to be a hidden camera here. There's no way he just invited me out on a field expedition with with NASA. And, yeah. And I said yes. Well, yeah. Like, I can't get that. I'm thinking to myself, I can't get the time off work. <laughs> I already shouldn't even be down here giving this talk. Like. I'm take time away from my family. I shouldn't even be yeah, here, I, man. I should probably, I should probably uh, ask. I don't my know how any of this is gonna yeah. work. Like, I might get fired for doing this. <laughs> and he's got the wrong guy. And I said, yes, <laughs> yes, I will come with you into the desert. Good move. And and that's when. Were this a Vegas story? You don't do that, and you get murdered. <laughs> <laughs> so that's luckily. Right. And then I was cooking meth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Respect the chemistry. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that that was, uh, you know, now now Jake Bleacher uh, has subsequently been promoted into NASA headquarters. He's the chief exploration scientist. Yeah, so he no longer the, does reviews. Human so. exploration operations mission director. He's never going to hear this episode, so it's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I owe Jake, both we love Noah you. and Jake a, a tremendous debt of gratitude i have um, to listen i have to say having um i know you want to respond look at you there <clears throat> i have to say that having received emails from someone at nasa it is easily one of the coolest things i've ever had in my life and not as <laughs> not your emails even like not my yeah <clears throat> jacob, jacob richardson yeah jacob richardson so yeah. <clears throat> for me to get emails from nasa.something.gov or whatever well then. and he's not some ad guy like me like no, no, no. faking it on day 47 <laughs> well, and still haven't that. figured it out <laughs> he's but you're the not real that deal. either yeah. I mean, you are at nasa as well yeah. so i mean i did get one email from you like this is really hard to send i don't want to do this <laughs> <laughs> jacob's okay with sending emails from nasa because he apparently can log in <laughs> You know, or ben, yeah, ben I do know. have I do have a few access restrictions, but it is the it's the coolest thing. It's the coolest thing, and and and, and uh, I have a giveaway. No, I have a giveaway. So here's the thing, for anybody listening, I have the Valley of Taurus Litro 3D printed. This is this is that valley there. That's where they were in Apollo 17. Where they were in Apollo 17. So I have a, it's not a not the. But you know what? It's a good 3D print. 
It's not a huge. It's probably about two and a half inches by two inches. Uh, but it's a quality 3D print. I'm going to give that away. Thank you. Not to you. <laughs> oh. I already gave you, you one. You gave me one. And, and you I, gave it away I to somebody it, else. I gave it away. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I gave you a really big version of it. You did. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. And he gave it to... Who'd you give it to? I gave it to uh, Paul Niles, who is uh, Deputy Chief Scientist of Johnson Space Center. Uh, see, so he deserves it. He does. And he's a Mars scientist, so it was an extra kind of like good inside joke. I gave him a giant model of landing on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that's for the giveaway. Plus, right. I can't, plus I can't sell this pen. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, this has been fascinating. I'm, I'm also a huge space nerd, and I, I don't know anything about it, but I've just, it is, you know, I was that kid who watched episodes of Cosmos and yeah. no a lot of PBS. So, yeah. so it's still, you're still in there. Just I, I'm in there. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, but now you and write science fiction. And I write science fiction. Yeah. Right? Um, it's always been this thing where, like when you say this is of interest to some people, it's it, for me, it's like this is the thing that... Um, is the most important you know this this is yeah space exploration to me is the um is an endeavor that is important to the species absolutely it goes beyond nations and beyond <clears throat> yes well a, a, one of the um anecdotes around that when apollo 11 landed that's the first mission to the moon first steps on the moon um they did a world tour. They went to many, many different countries for until about, so it was July, until about now, so until about December, they were traveling the world. And, they, and Michael Collins, who was the command module pilot, said that universally, every place they went, they all said, we did it. We as humanity did it. But they didn't say we as humanity. They said, we did it. And, uh, and it was this, he really took note of that as... This was something that brought the whole world together in a brand new way. And if you think about it, it's one of those where were you when, you know, for people that were old enough to have been there. It's one of the only positive where were you when things. It wasn't, you know, it's not when Kennedy was shot. It's something super positive. And, um, and there's, a, there's a lot of kind of chatter that you hear in the, in the news these days about you know, we should get everything perfect on Earth before we go, getting fancy, doing other things. Well, you know, that's, that's the traditional agency saying, we need to get make perfect TV commercials before we can start learning digital. Yeah. You know, it's, and when I think about it, it brings me back to the, um, the glider that was sitting in your basement for three years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We got to solve this problem first before we tackle the other one, and then we just yeah. never get to it. Right. And if you look at, 1969, 1968 was the worst year in American history with two assassinations and the Vietnam War raging. And they did it anyway. They went Apollo 8 by the end of 1968, uh, orbited the moon and came back. And then 1969, things were still huge amounts of civil unrest. Like it was not, they hadn't cleaned their bedroom before they went to the moon. Like it was, it was really, really bad. And it it was like the glimmer of hope through all of that. And it, it really has a special place. And I, you know, th I'm describing this all in political terms. This is all kind of political reasons to go to the moon and go to other places. 
but there is a species reason to go. There's uh, a scientific reason to go. And there's also the, uh, maybe even the most political reason to go, which is the 400,000 people that worked on the Apollo program created an engineering culture throughout the United States that echoed until recently as the powerhouse of the, of the world. And Apollo is a huge jumpstart of, of that entire endeavor. There's generation after generation of people, you know, everything from the microchip to um, just engineering industry, not, not, not always in the space program, is due to Apollo. And people can't really feel that. You know, like, oh, we, we got Teflon. That's what we got from the space program. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Microwave ovens. We got, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. We got um, Tang. But I think they need to, you know, I, I think that the average person needs to go out to uh, uh, Kennedy and see one of the Saturn V rockets sitting mm-hmm. on its side and yeah. see what was, what essentially was the pro- propellant for a mission that launched three people into space. Yeah. It is a massive oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. Massive. And because we had two scrub missions, there are two giant rockets. Three. Oh, yeah. Three. Oh, my gosh. Three. Because <laughs> they had one spare. Eight, 18, <laughs> no, Apollo's 18, 19, and 20. <clears throat> Sorry, three scrub missions. I, I'm only so educated. That's why I don't work so for NASA. I'll correct you immediately for any mistake. <laughs> yeah, you there's the, oh, sorry the shadowy figure from the back. <laughs> I believe sense. I believe there was three scrub missions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So because it, it is it is remarkable and it is very fortunate, well not fortunate, but we get the opportunity to stand in front of these rockets. Like I took a panorama yeah. of it. Right. And I was like, this is the biggest fucking thing I've seen, and it, I mean they they have again at Kennedy they have the. Um, uh, Canada arm in, in the, the space shuttle like a mm-hmm. like this like the the size of the thing to realize that this is what brought people to space right. and and had them in space I yeah it's really something else and as, as much nerd. as as much as what you've built NASA seems to think is you know the answer to how they want to collect their data for research and for scientists to look at and for experts to look at this mm-hmm. data and I 100% agree with that but I think the other side of it is, I guess, for lack of a better term, the, the PR. And I think yeah. that that's really important. Public engagement. Exactly. Like, get people excited again. Show them what this data is. Show them what the space program yes. is about. Well, I, I, so I wish we don't have to go through the blow by blow, but I did all that work again for Apollo 11 uh, starting two years ago. So starting about 2017 uh, that went live for July 2019, which is the 50th anniversary of the first steps on the moon. Wow. And everybody might remember that there was a lot of stuff about that this past summer. Yeah. Well, you could tune in what was happening 50 years ago on the mission right now on this website that I had created. And over a million people from 224 different countries tuned in in real time to listen to that mission. And that was with no advertising, no dollars spent. Nothing. Just the power of that. Bring people being brought together by how special this stuff is, and there's people that experience it for the first time that way. And there's the ultimate fan that's like has had this dearth of material available to them, and now it's all there. Like I gave them a seriously. Like if you thought that lunar samples were a deep rabbit hole, I put 11,000 hours of mission control audio on this website, so you could sit. <laughs> 
in any console position for the whole 240 hour mission of Apollo 11 and be that flight controller. So that, you know, that that's just online now for everybody. You know, I haven't done that yet. <laughs> but, You're like, Wait, but it's out yeah. there. Boop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that's going to take a lot of years to, to go through, but um, but that was all. That, was that all part of the, the working on the documentary as well? Like, so the the Apollo Eleven documentary that mm-hmm. was was it wasn't. Yeah, it I was almost like, called it found footage, but it was essentially they went, "Hey, did footage. you know that they filmed seventy millimeter? Did you know that they, you know, and and a whole bunch of filmmakers are like, what? You know, like it was because yeah. like they filmed essentially IMAX. Yeah. In nineteen sixty eight. Yeah, Nine. 68 to 71. Yeah. They did. Wow. Yeah. So they filmed essentially in IMAX. So what we all think of as when we watch like Apollo 13, the, the, the Ron Howard movie, or Steven Spielberg, right? Ron Howard. Ron Howard. Yeah. <clears throat> when we watch that, you're like, wow, the, the, <laughs> the ice falling off of the rocket. And wow, that's so real. You watch Apollo 11 and you're like, holy shit, he was really <laughs> good at that. Like, because yep. none of that's made up. <clears throat> You know? no, it's real stuff, yeah. Uh, yes, it was kind of involved with that. It was. Uh, I'm a. I was a technical advisor on that film, so uh, that means they show me rough cuts, and I give them feedback, and then they show me more rough cuts, until you can't even see straight anymore. You've seen so many rough cuts of the film, and um, and then I. They also said, oh, and here's all the mission control audio that we're using for the film you can just have it too because you're working on I know you're probably working on your real time website version right and and the real and the all this mission control footage had huge defects in it to make a long story short uh, I worked with a guy in Europe to write software that traces the speed fluctuations in this audio and creates a fingerprint of it and then resamples it out so that it's perfectly retimed like it was recorded on a GoPro like it's perfect mission time and that allows you to, to scrub, to say, put me six hours, 15 seconds into the mission, and it will jump literally to that point on the tape. Because before this, these were analog tapes. These are, you know, 50-year-old right. reel-to-reel to tapes. Like figure it out. There was no way to do that. So I did that, gave it back to the film for free, essentially. It's like, guys, I cracked it. Here. Gave them another, you know, four terabytes of, da- of audio. And... Um, they went bananas because now what this meant was that because you could figure out when the mission was the first time, you could actually add sound back to the silent footage. So that all the footage shot on Apollo, uh, Apollo 11 was 16 millimeter in mission control and it was all silent. There were no boom mics and it was B-roll, right. just like shooting B-roll right, right. You know, for use in documentaries in the future. And I, and I had created syncable audio that um, somebody in the UK this guy named Stephen Slater who's the archive producer of the Apollo 11 film spent like a year or something more literally finding out who is that in the film I see his lips moving when is that in the in the mission and then go to that channel at that time with, in the corrected tapes and try to sync up the, the audio in the, the video. audio in the video and he did that for I don't know 50 or 60 different clips of footage gave that all to the director of the film because he's the archive producer he's providing all the right. archive now he's providing never before synced audio archive and so we, we kind of just went 
nuts. And then I, because I had solved that issue, I could put it all on a website and just put it out there for the world. And then it could be edited together into the Apollo 11 film in the same kind of breath. So, and then that restored audio is also being accessioned back into the National Archives. So it's now the now available, like it's going to be preserved there forever because anything that goes into the National Archives is by edict of the Constitution preserved forever. So uh, it's great to be able to Very contribute cool. that. It's amazing. So I guess uh, the question is then, you know, where do you think this is going to go next? I mean, you're, you're working with audio recordings, transcripts, some film and video. Yeah. Uh, where are we heading for, <laughs> let's say, like the first manned landing on Mars? You know, what well, are we going to have there? Well, before, before any, there's any <laughs> Mars plans, there's a moon Mo- plan. Another moon one, yeah. So uh, right now there's uh, a directive within NASA and outside, basically, trying to get funding from Congress um, to return to the moon by 2024. And this new mission is called the Artemis mission. So it's the Artemis was the twin sister of Apollo, and Artemis will put the first woman and the next man on the moon by 2024. And uh, I, so I've joined NASA right at the starting line of this process of, of creating these all these spacecraft are being built and designed. There's a lot of private industry involved. There's a lot of science that needs to be figured out how much material we're going to be able to bring back. It's like it's 1966 again, and we're working on Apollo. And if I have my way, then this will be the system that is used for... Um, for managing playback of what's happening on the, on the different moonwalks, EVAs, and also will be the thing that is put out to the world so that everybody in the world can watch Artemis in right. real time. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a long road, and, you know, I'm certainly in the right place to do it. I, I'm now working at, in the Astromaterials Research and Exploration Science Division at Johnson Space Center, and that basically means that I'm in the integration point between engineering and science, which, and if you think about walking on the moon, isn't just in a lab with a microscope doing science. There's a reality to timelines and picking things up. That's called exploration science at, at NASA. And I'm in that department as a software engineer trying to create the right tools to manage those EVAs. So if you know, there's also other people in other places working on this stuff. I am not trying to, you know, it, this is a very huge collective effort. I'm not trying to take control of it or, you know, make everybody, you know, buy the domain and just right. build it. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's but I, it's kind of weird. It's like I've, I've gone from doing this stuff evenings and weekends to keep my brain alive after working in advertising all day to, uh, to working literally all day in a place where, everybody is trying to go back to the moon by 2024. So if I play my cards right, that's it. Amazing. That's what I get to contribute to. And, and it, you know, it's, it feels strange to have a job that matters to me, like it, it, not just to me, but maybe is a positive thing in the world and not just a positive paycheck to help raise a family, which is what my whole career has been. Right. And it really feels great to, have, uh, to be able to contribute something to, to humanity's future. Well, Ben, I think on that note, thank you so much for being part of this. That's 
fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've let us nerd out in a pretty big way. Like, it's, it's pretty nice. Like, I, had, I, was, I was like, what am I going to say? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you, know, you know how you, um, when, you're, when you're a kid, you're like, the only other way this could be as cool was if we had a dinosaur sitting across from us. <laughs> you know, In a lab Like coach. a literal dinosaur going, so this is how I was made. You know, like that. Yeah. Like if I, there, there's two sure. there's two ways, right? Yeah. Space or dinosaurs. Yeah. So I got space, which is like easily on par with dinosaurs. So thank thanks to that. I really appreciate that. Or well, thank you guys for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Well, it gets more fun once we turn this off. <laughs> and we have another beer. <laughs> but it's secretly still on. Oh, that's really secretly fun. still on. <laughs> no, the batteries are running out. So it's not. microphone in his beard. <laughs> in my beard. Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> okay, so here's the oh, quiz question. Quiz question. Quiz question. Mm. So the giveaway for the 3D print plus a can't sell this pin. Yeah. Do you have any other thing you could you could give? Sure. Like I mean, I I've just borrowed a 3D printer from a buddy of mine. You so can't I can give a 3D another. printer away. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I'm borrowed it. for the giveaway. <laughs> no, I can print another something. You can print it for me. Okay. Is what I'm saying. You want one? Well, I don't. Okay. I've given all of mine away. <laughs> well, you just took it out of your jacket. I know, and but that's for somebody. That's that's for that's somebody. That's your fault. No, it's not. It's for somebody. So we're gonna we're gonna mark that with a sharpie and show them where they landed. Okay. Okay. You're not gonna draw the traverses. No. Once once I it all get, once it gets really drunk, it's like this is where they went. This is where they hope to go. That's this, a napkin. This is ben, where ben, you're drawing on a napkin. This is where they think the bumper is. <laughs> All right, so here's the what's the uh, the quiz the the giveaway question needs to be related to what you talked about, and uh, with Lori we we picked a name. There was a name that she mentioned. Do you think a name makes sense? Yeah. What? You got to come up with a question, but it could be like what would name a, a question? What was the name of the person the who had this title? Yeah. Well, what was the name of the valley that Apollo 17 landed in? Well, okay, so. Just like the Lori Petru giveaway, it's going to be based off of either the first person, the only person, or well, random. It, it's okay. So no, no that's good. No, no, that's great. I can, I can make answer. it harder. I can no, make no, it don't make it any no, harder. Okay. No, no, <laughs> shit. <laughs> What's the color of the shirt yeah. I'm wearing? They will, <laughs> they will have sat through the entire episode. Okay, so on behalf of myself, Hugh, and me, Stefan, we thank you, Ben, Feist. For sitting with us tonight. (laughs) Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. This episode of Can't Sell This was produced in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All creative content contained in this episode is copyright Stefan Grambart and Hugh Elliott. Intro voice by Jeff Wright. Intro music track is Energy by Not Of from their 2015 album Peak. Questions or comments can be sent to admin at can'tsellthispodcast.com. Any other information can be found at can'tsellthispodcast.com.